I've entitled this message, You Are to Anoint Him. Now, the book of Samuel records the transition in Israel from a period of the judges to the monarchy. This change in Israel's national life revolved mainly around three men. Somebody say three. Three. Samuel, who was the last and great judge, Saul, Israel's first king, and David, whose early adventures before coming to power are tied in with accounts of Samuel and Saul. The theme of the book, like uh, that of the other historical writings in the Old Testament, tells us that faithfulness to God brings success, and disobedience brings disaster. I'll say that again. Faithfulness to God brings absolutely nothing but success, and disobedience brings disaster. One of the many challenges that we might face while attempting to live for Christ as a Christian tends to revolve around the need to belong. As you seek the Lord and serve the Lord, I believe that you will see great and mighty things take place in your life. But in order for you to see the things take place in your life, you must be willing to be set apart. We must be willing to be set apart. One way of being set apart for God's purpose is for you and I to be anointed by God. The anointing, the power of the Holy Spirit in a person's life can only come from God. It's his anointing. So that means he gives it to whoever he finds fit, whoever he wants to. We can sit around and say, I can't believe God would anoint that person. It's his anointing. He does whatever he wants to do. He pours the oil out on whoever he wants to do. He's never called a a, a board meeting to figure out who he's going to anoint. He's never said, what do you think about it, Anthony? And he's never looked for my opinion. God is God all by himself. He does whatever he wants to do. He doesn't take a poll. He doesn't have an election. He is God all by himself, and he anoints whoever he wants to anoint, whether I like it or not. Amen? It's his anointing. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, it says, After the baptism, as Jesus, he came out of the water, the Bible says that the heavens opened up, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. In Luke chapter 14, verse 8, it says, The Spirit, this is Jesus talking, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, and that the oppressed will be set free. Let me say that again. That the oppressed will be set free. That's a good place for an amen. We see even in the life of Christ that he too was not only baptized in water, but he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And he received the anointing of God upon him so that he could fulfill what the Father called him to do. My assignment this morning is for me to unpack this particular passage and to pull out some truths within it, within the text, that will help us to seek God in such a way that you and I would want to have the anointing of the Holy Spirit 
flowing in and through us so that we can make a radical change in the community we live in. Sounds like a good plan? I was going to do it regardless. I just like to have people think that they're involved in this thing. (laughs) So the first thing we must know is about the anointing. Point number one, PowerPoint number one. The anointing is to smear or rub with oil, typically as a part of a religious ceremony. It's to nominate, select, or choose someone as a successor to or leading candidate for a position. It is to be separated from. The Bible tells us that God uh, calls the prophet Samuel, and he tells Samuel, he says, fill your horn with oil. And he says, go down to Jesse's crib. My bad. It's in me. For those of you who aren't multilingual, crib means house. So he says, go down to Jesse's house. There you will find the next king. You are to anoint the next king with oil. So he goes down to Jesse's crib. He gets down there. He sees Jesse. He asks Jesse, where's his son? Jesse parades all of his sons. The Bible tells us that Samuel holds the oil over them. The oil does, I mean, he holds the horn over them. The oil doesn't flow out. And then he says to him, is there anybody else? And Jesse says, oh, yeah, there's, there's a rut. He called his son a rut. He's over there tending the sheep. The prophet says, well, go get him. We're going to remain standing until he gets here. Those of us, don't raise your hand. Those of us who have been in the legal system and you walk into the courtroom and you're sitting down, the judge comes in, they ask you to do what? Stand up. You're not, spo- you're not supposed to let them know you. Let them respond. But he says we're going to remain standing until he shows up. When a king walks in a house, everybody stands up. The Bible says that David shows up, Samuel holds the horn over him, and the oil flows right out of the horn. Like I said, God anoints whomever he wants to anoint. His father called him a rut. Look it up. It's in the Bible. But he was the one that God allowed the oil to flow over. I got, this is a side thing. Always seek a second opinion. Father called him a rut, but God called him a king. Whatever they call you, get the second opinion from God. Always seek a second opinion. Yeah, that's, amen. Right there, deserves a clap. So point number one, as followers of Christ, we must stand out. 1 Samuel 9, 1-2 says, There was a man from the tribe of Benjamin named Kish. He was a son of Abiel, the grandson of Zior, the great-grandson of Bicharath, the great-great-grandson of Ahab, a Benjamite of stalwart character. He had a son, Saul, a most handsome young man. You know when I first read this, I thought the Bible was talking about me? Because it says there was none finer. But then I got to the part where it says he literally stood head and shoulders above the crowd. I realized I'm only 5'9", so definitely wasn't referring to me. But in other words, Saul stood out. It says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, the King James Version, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the, the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. Out of darkness into the marvelous light. Okay, eight of y'all got it. 
out of darkness into the marvelous light. Nine of you got it. I'll try this again. Out of God, listen, God has pulled you out of darkness and brought you into the light. That is beautiful to know what it's like to be in darkness and then to know what it's like to be in the light. That's what God has done. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it comes from the King James Version and it is not seen in, uh, in modern English translations. The word peculiar was often used to refer to something belonging to someone, as in someone's property. Ye are a chosen generation. You are a peculiar person chosen by God. Now, I don't know about you, but I know when you play basketball or baseball or something, you know, they'd be like, I got him. I got her. They always pick the best people first, but God chose us. God chose us. So if you get picked last, know that you are chosen by God in the kingdom. You're a peculiar person chosen by God. You are wonderfully made in his image. If we look up the word peculiar, it can have several meanings. Probably the most common usage of the word peculiar today is referring to someone or something that is strange, odd, or uncommon. In this verse, Peter is not saying that Christians are strange, odd, or uncommon, unusual people, even though the world might look at us that way. What the passage is communicating is that Christians are people who belong to God. We belong to God, the maker of heaven and earth, the one who, who spoke light and darkness had nothing to say about it. He hung stars like we hang lights on Christmas trees. He said, sun, you stay over there. Moon, you hang over here. We belong to God. That's something else. The one that says, ocean, you can only go this far. That's who we belong to. If we get a hole in that, that's a game changer. That we belong to the maker of heaven and earth. You're wonderfully made in his image. Amen. Another way of saying this is that Christians are God's own special, unique people. So church, we have no other options. We must stand out. No other option. Jesus stood out among the crowd. He was peculiar. He was set apart. He represented God as Father. As followers of Christ, you will feel or you're probably currently feeling the pull of the world to do what the world does. People should be able to look at us and know that we are truly different because of our character. That's it. They should look at us and say there's something different about you. Why? Because we don't Facebook like they Facebook. We don't tweet like they tweet. Oh, y'all didn't think I was going to go there. We don't Instagram like they Instagram. They should be able to look at our social media page and say, there is something different about this person. They're not entertaining what somebody else is posting, but they are declaring the goodness of God, the creator of heaven and earth. The world should look at us and know that there is something truly different about us. Amen? That's a good thing. We must stand out. 
2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things has uh, passed away. Behold, all things are new. There are two Greek words that are both usually translated as new. The first is neos. Somebody say neos. Which signifies something that is new uh, in respect of time, that which is recent. It is frequently used comparing younger people with older people. The second word is kainos. Somebody say kainos. It's referring to something that is new as to uh, quality of a different nature. I'm going to break all that down in English. All right? Check this out. How many of y'all know about the, the, what's the Volkswagen, what do they call it? The Beetle, right? The Bug, the Beetle. We all know about that, right? Well, if you had, if you had that car in 1979, you were the bomb. My bad. You had it going on. Bomb, the bomb means you were it. So if you had that in 1979, and then 1979, you put a lot of miles on it, you went and bought an 81. In 1981, you put a lot of miles on it, you upgraded to the 85. 85, you upgraded to the 89. 89, you upgraded to the 95. 95, you upgraded to the 2000. And you now say, you know what? Let me get the 2005. Let me get the 2009. Now here you are in 2021, and you have the 2021 version. Can I tell you? That's not what God is talking about. He's not looking to upgrade the old me. The word behold, something totally new, means Tesla. It means Tesla. As you know, Teen Challenge is a, is a Christ-centered program. We don't receive any federal dollars. Everything that we do, we, we raise money to support the program. We sell cutting boards. Make sure you, when you go out there, you hang a left, you stop there. We don't plan on bringing any of these cutting boards home. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. So we, we raise our own funds. We, and so we do these things called college move-in jobs. So y'all going to trip about this one. So families pull up, Right? We take the kids' stuff out of the car, we put them on bins, and we bring them to their room. When I was in college, we did that all by ourselves. But they're actually paying people to do that now, and we're like, no problem. That will help support the program. So three years ago, I'm there, I'm out there, and a car pulls up. I have my back turned, a car pulls up. And they're like, oh, Pastor Anthony, there's a car there. I turn around. I didn't even hear the thing. It was humming. I was, I mean, I was blown away. I looked in the car. I saw an iPad. It wasn't on a seat. It was on the dashboard. So I said to the father, I said, I mean, with all due respect, could I check it out? And he said, yeah. So I looked in, and I was like, wow. Can I tell you, that's what God's talking about? Tesla was never, ever heard about. When God makes something new, it is something that has never, ever been created before. So when it says that you are a new creature, you have never, ever seen another version of you. He's not into upgrading the old me. When I became one in Christ, it was a brand new creature. And you know what God says? That word behold, in, in the original Hebrew, it's spelled B-E-H-O-L-D, and it means behold. In the Greek, it's spelled B-E-H-O-L-D. And it means, behold. In the hood, it spells C-H-E-C-K-I-T-O-U-T. When God does something marvelous like these men up here, you know what he says? Check it out. Whenever God 
transforms a life, God says, check it out. Why? Because there has never, ever been anything created like the old you. Amen? So I walk around all the time. They're like, man, you, 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 like, there's something about you. I just say, you know what? Check it out. (laughs) Check it out. That's what God does when you surrender and commit your life to him. He totally transforms you. That you walk into your family's house and they're looking at you like, who is this person? (laughs) And that's when you can say, check it out. (laughs) Because it all gives glory to him. God is not at all interested in making a newer version of you. He's making something that has never, ever existed before. Point number two, as follows of Christ, we must be willing to serve. First Samuel chapter 9, verse 3 says, Some of Kish's donkeys got lost. Kish said to his son, Saul, take one of your servants with you and go look for the donkeys. Saul took one of his servants and he went to find the donkeys. The Bible tells us that Saul was set apart. Yet the job his father gave him was so minimal. He had servants, yet he sent his own son to find the donkeys. Imagine that. God has called you and he has set you apart, yet you're asked to clean the trash barrels in the church. Now, I mean, not, not, nobody here. I'm, you know, I'm just talking about other churches, but nobody here. God has called you. He has set you apart, yet they assign you the ministry. Check this out. You're the head of the toilet bowl ministry. Again, I'm talking about another church. Nobody here. God has called you. He has set you apart. Yet you're the one that they call to rake leaves and shovel snow. The Bible tells us that God called David to be king, yet he was tending the sheep. He was working with animals, feeding the sheep and cleaning up after them, yet he was anointed to be king. Jesus was set apart. He was anointed, yet he said, I came to serve, not to be served. Jesus was set apart, yet he was willing to wash the feet of his disciples. I don't know about you, but me and feet have a mutual agreement. You stay away from me, and I'll stay away from you. But Jesus washed the feet of 12 men who were walking through dust, who was walking through mud. He put an apron on, he got on his knees, and he washed their feet. Yet he was anointed, and he was set apart. But he said, the Son of Man has not come to be served, but he's come to serve. The job that was minimal, that maids and servants would do, Jesus did. Saul was set apart, yet his father sent him to go fetch the donkeys. I've been in ministry for a pretty long time, and I've come to realize that everybody wants pulpit time. Everybody wants the limelight. Nobody wants toilet bowl time. Everybody wants to preach, but nobody wants to usher. Until we realize that the person standing behind the pulpit is just as important as the person that comes in at 7 o'clock to flip on the lights, we will miss what God wants to do in and through our lives. It's not about us. It never has been. It's about others. Jesus said he did not come to be served, but he came to serve. The jobs that we think that tend to be insignificant are the very jobs that are designed to develop true character. The minimal jobs are the very ones that God 
will use to develop character. In Acts chapter 6, um, chapter 6, verse 1 through 6, I'll read it to you really quick. It says, but as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve called the meeting of all the believers. They said, we apostles shouldn't be spending our time teach, uh, we should be spending our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. So, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected, say well-respected, and full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and the teaching of the word. Verse 5 says, everyone liked this idea. So they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit and six others. Stephen had to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to have wisdom to distribute food. Think about that. You couldn't even work in the food pantry unless you were filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's, that's what it says here. We cannot do the work of God unless we get filled with the Holy Spirit so that we can do the work of God 101%. They said select people that are filled with the Holy Spirit and have wisdom. God, for the food pantry? Yes, for the food pantry. They must be filled with the Holy Spirit. There are no jobs in the kingdom that are insignificant. I'm going to tell you about Stephen real quick. Want me to tell you about Stephen real quick? I was going to do it anyway. The Bible tells us that Stephen, he finally, you know, he does what he does. He, you know, he works in a pantry. Now he, he finally gets a pulpit. He's out in the middle of the street. He preaches the gospel. I'm paraphrasing. You've got to read this to yourself. He preaches the gospel. They don't like the fact that he preaches the gospel. They arrest him. They bring him before the council. So he's standing before the council, and he's like, oh, my goodness, God, you gave me the best pulpit there is. He's standing before the whole Supreme Court, and he, say, he begins to preach the gospel from Genesis up until the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says they got so angry... They got so angry, it says that they stoned them. Let me bring that back. Stoned means rocks. Good. Y'all didn't catch it. Good. I don't want y'all to say, well, Pastor Stephen got stoned, so it's okay. No, no, no. Stoned. He got hit with rocks. Okay? We good? But watch this. The Bible says that as he's getting stoned, the Bible says he looks up, he sees heaven open, and he sees the Son of Man standing. It's the only time you'll read in the Bible about Jesus standing. You always hear about Jesus what? Seated at the right hand of Father. But this time, as Stephen is getting stoned, it looks up, and the Bible says that the Holy Spirit fills him again, and he sees the Son of Man standing. I look at it like this, that Jesus was like this. Well done, pantry man. I'm serious. Well done, toilet bowl cleaner. Well done, parking lot attendant. Jesus found approval because Stephen had the opportunity to preach the gospel and to testify to the goodness of God. And guess where he started off? In the pantry, distributing food. But he was filled with the Holy Spirit. We must be willing to serve no matter what the job is. Amen? 
Unfortunately, modern-day Christianity has a high focus and emphasis on developing leaders, and in that we lose the servanthood mentality. Let this never be the case in Fellowship Bible Church. It is my prayer that everyone connected to this church will seek to be the number one servant in the house. Amen? Praise God. Y'all should be fighting over the plunger. Y'all should be fighting over the, um, what do they call that to clean the toilet bowl? Shh, shh, shh. The what? The brush. Fighting over it. I'll do it. No, no, I'll, I'll do it. I'll, I'll do it. Let this house be a house that serves the kingdom of God. So that when people come in, they will have a true experience with the God who loves them and created them. Amen? Amen. Point number three, as followers of Christ. We must have a good brother or sister by our side. First Samuel 9, 3-5 says, When they got to Zuth, Saul said to the young man with him, Enough of this. Let's go back. Soon my father's going to forget about the donkeys and start worrying about us. He replied, Not so fast. Give me one second. Between verses 3 and 6, Saul goes everywhere looking for the donkeys, and he simply can't find them. He can't locate the donkeys. So Saul wants to abort the mission. He wants to give up. He wants to throw the towel in. He's done. He comes up with a great idea. He says, let's go back because soon my father's going to forget about the donkeys and he's going to begin to worry about us. Had Saul's servant not been there to encourage him and to support him to even come up with the idea, Saul would have probably given up. Can I tell you this? You and I cannot succeed in the kingdom of God unless we have a solid support system. We will have a very difficult time in our walk with God if, if we don't have a solid brother or a solid sister by our side to pray with us, to encourage us, to even rebuke us when necessary. Unless you have that person in your life that's serious about the things of God, then chances are you will give into the temptation to give up. Saul did not quit simply because his servant encouraged him to continue on with the task that was assigned to him. We need those people in our lives. Otherwise, we'll have come up with any good idea. Saul's idea was good. Daddy's going to be worried about us. It's getting dark. We'll come up with any good idea, any good reason to quit this run. Amen? Point number four, as followers of Christ, we must seek to get a word from God. First Samuel 9, uh, 1 Samuel 9, verse 6 says, He replied, not so fast as a holy man in this town. He carries a lot of weight around here. What he says is always right on the mark. Maybe he can tell us where to go. This is very important. I need you guys to, to really hone in on this. If there's anything... I mean, if there's anything you grasp, it's got to be this point. According to the June 2019 research done by Barna Research Group, the most post-Christian city in America is Springfield, Holyoke, Massachusetts. The research shows that in the northeast New England portion of the United States is the most post-Christian region in America. Webster's Dictionary defines post-Christian as the decline of Christianity as a major religion. In other words, the Christian religion in certain areas is on a decline. The devil is a liar. Barna bases their post-Christian statistics from the following categories. Watch this. Those who disagree the Bible is accurate. Those who have not read the Bible. So they got people that haven't read, read the Bible doing these, these, like, these polls. Makes no sense to me. Those who do not believe in God 
and those that disagree that faith is important in their lives. Their stats show that as a nation, only 25% of the population is considered Bible-minded. If these stats are correct, then it's fair to say that very few in this room right now read their Bible on a daily or weekly basis. That's if their stats are correct. Can I tell you, I know what it's like to struggle with reading the Word of God. I know what it's like. I know how like two days can turn to five days, and then five days can turn to eight days, and eight days can turn to ten days, and ten days can turn to 14 days, and before you know you're like, oh my goodness, I haven't read the Word of God in over three weeks. I've been there. I know what it's like. But I didn't tell you these stats to beat you up. I told you these stats to lift you up, to encourage you to turn to the Word of God. When I found myself years ago in that situation, I turned to a brother. I said, listen, I'm struggling with my Bible reading. I'm struggling with prayer. I said, here's what I need you to do for me. I need you to call me every single day. Don't even worry about how I was a single dad at the time. I said, don't worry about how my daughter's doing. Don't worry about how I'm doing. Ask me what did I read today. And he did that every single day, and it got me back on track. I'm here to tell you, if you are struggling with your Bible reading, you need to find somebody to hold you accountable. God wants you to know him, and the only way for you to know him is through his word. I mean, we got it at our disposal now. All you got to do is download the Bible app, put it in your car, and drive to work, and let the Bible read to you. Amen? Get a hold of the word of God. Let us flip those statistics around. Not in this region. I am declaring that this region will be a region in the name of Jesus that reads the word and knows the word and stands on the word, the whole word and nothing but the word. Amen. Amen? I'd like to encourage you today, if you find yourself struggling, do what I did. It will help you get back on track. Between verses 10 and 11, we read that Saul continues traveling to get a word from the Lord. And he finally arrives and he meets up with the prophet Samuel. And and Samuel follows through on the assignment that God gave him. You and I cannot live in victory if we are not reading and meditating on his word. It has got to be the word. That's it. The word of God. Fall in love with the word. When I first got saved, I told a friend, I said, I just don't even have a desire to read this thing. He says, you're not supposed to. He said, you're not supposed to. He said, but if you ask God to give you a hunger, if you ask God to give you a desire, God wants you to read his word more than you want to read it. And when I started doing that, I fell in love with his word. And I just kept on reading and kept on reading. I want to encourage you this morning, church, to read the word of God. There is nothing like it. Mm. Last point, point number five. As followers of Christ, we, we must seek after the anointing. First Samuel chapter five, verse one says, then Samuel took a flask of, of olive oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him saying, has not the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? The worship team can come up. Like I stated, like I started earlier, Though conceived by the Holy Spirit, Jesus needed the baptism of the Spirit as he embarked on his ministry. As John baptized Jesus in the Jordan, a second baptism took place. The Spirit of God descended on Jesus like a dove. The greatest pattern 
for Christians to follow is that of Jesus Christ. He was both baptized in the Holy Spirit and anointed by God. So, if Jesus needed it, okay, one person got it. If Jesus needed it, how much more do we need it? The Bible says that he was baptized by the Holy Spirit and then he was anointed to do the work of the kingdom. Saints, we must seek without a shadow of a doubt the Holy Spirit and the anointing of God to accomplish what God has called this church to do and what he has called you as individuals to do. Let us seek after the anointing. I want to encourage you this morning to always seek after the very things that Jesus did. And I conclude with this priestly blessing found in Numbers chapter 6, verse 24. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen? Amen. Could we stand and give the Lord a shout of praise? Amen. Now, as the worship team sings, if you want to be anointed by oil, just like line up right here. As they sing, I want to anoint everybody with oil that wants to be anointed. There's nothing like magical in the oil, but it signifies that you're set apart. It signifies that you separated unto God. Amen. The oil of the Holy Spirit is nothing like it. I mean, it's so, I, I mean, I just wish I could like open up your head and get it in you because it's just, oh, it's so like, it's, it's amazing. Like somebody could do the same thing you do, but when you do it under the anointing, you know what happens? Lives are transformed. A friend of mine asked me one time, he says, he says, he calls me up, he says, Anthony, he says, I need somebody to preach. I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I get definitely got it. He, he stopped me and said, you know what, let, let, let me bring that back. He says, anybody can stand behind a pulpit and preach, I know that. He says, I need somebody to preach that preaches under the anointing. Because he knew that it's the anointing that breaks strongholds. It's the anointing that sets people free. So as they sing... Just line up if you want. A little dab or do. I'm just going to sh- 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 walk down and just anoint you with oil. Signifying that you've decided today to separate yourself and live for Jesus and Jesus alone. <laughs>